Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon features Bible teacher Clay Scroggins, and it was recorded on Sunday, April 10th. Thanks for tuning in. We'd love the chance to connect with you, so drop us a line at info at faithbridge.org. And if you're in the area, join us this Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi. And you can always join us for FaithBridge online at faithbridge.org slash live. Here's Clay. Well, good morning, everybody. Hello to everybody over in community, everybody watching online. So good to see you. My name's Clay. So good to be back with you. Uh, I don't know if you noticed Sully with that low-key flex that he was wearing up on stage, that master shirt that he was wearing. I saw it right when I came in this morning. I I, uh, flew here last night from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, It's master's week everywhere, but particularly where I live, the city is all abuzz about the masters. And Sully said, I can't believe that you're here and you're not there. Listen, proximity to the course does not equate to tickets into the tournament as it works out. But there's a Texan leading the tournament right now, Scotty Scheffler. I don't know if you're a fan or if you're watching. Some of you have no clue what I'm even talking about. I may as well be speaking another language right now. Uh, I saw this little uh, interview with Scotty Scheffler. Uh, He's from the Dallas area. He's a Longhorn. Uh, He's got a pretty big lead in the tournament. Sorry about all the hissing. Um, He is, though. Um, He seems like a wonderful person. And they said, what are you going to do tonight? You got this big lead. He said, oh, got married. My wife and I are going to go back home and make dinner and watch The Office. I thought, that's what everybody else is doing. That's amazing. Everybody's just going to go home, make dinner, and watch The Office, you know? Um, I don't know if, you, if you're a fan of The Office, one of the most watched television shows ever. Uh, it's, it's all about Michael Scott and Dwight Schrute and Jim and Pam. There's this one character, though, that's always interrupting The Office, Creed. Creed is, uh, I don't know how you feel about Creed. I'm not a big fan, got to be honest with you. Um, but Creed is always interrupting the storyline. He's always making some weird comment. Uh, I was watching an episode last week, and Creed said, uh, yeah, I've, I've been in a lot of cults myself as a follower and as a leader. You have more fun as a follower, but you make more money as a leader, which I thought was a really funny line. But um, he's kind of the secondary character that interrupts the story. And today, as we journey through Luke, where are we in uh, Luke 23 today? If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Um, If you need a Bible, we've got a Bible for you. Uh, We've got some that are coming down the aisle. If you need one, just raise your hand. But we'd love for you to turn there, Luke 23. And today, as we look to Luke 23, as we travel through Luke's version of the gospel, he interviews a bunch of eyewitnesses who are telling the story of what was Jesus of Nazareth like when he was on earth. And as we get to this point in the story, we've obviously fast-forwarded toward the end because it is Holy Week. Today is Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week. And we look to this horrifically unfair, kind of startling moment of the story where this secondary character enters the scene, interrupts the story. This story is all about Jesus. This story is all about Jesus going to the cross. But on his way there, this character that we see, his name is Barabbas. He interrupts the story. And all of a sudden, there's this twist and a turn where Pilate is doing everything he can. Pilate, this ruler who's trying to 
Wash his hands of this situation. He doesn't want to have to deal with Jesus. You get a sense that Pilate is really struggling, that he almost has, he seems even close to converting to believe that Jesus really is who he says he is. But he just can't. There's too much at stake. There's too much of his reputation on the line. And so Pilate's doing everything he can do to try to get out of this situation. He doesn't want to have to deal with it. And so he comes to this moment where he has this idea, a eureka moment. Ah, it's, this, is, this is a holy day. And on a holy day, I get, this, I get this opportunity to present two criminals to the crowd. And I give the crowd a chance. And maybe surely they will do the very thing that I want to do but I can't do. Maybe they'll release Jesus. And so Pilate does just that. He offers to the crowd Jesus who's done so much good for so many people, and then he offers them Barabbas, this criminal, this person that seems so tormented by something from his past that has caused him to lash out in a number of different ways. As we're about to read, Luke tells us he's a murderer. He's killed people. He offers the crowd these two options. That's where we pick up the story. If you um, are there, Luke 23, you can turn with me and we're going to read it and then we'll stop and uh, want to just highlight a couple things from it. Luke 23 verses, uh, verse 18 is where we'll pick up. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man. Release Barabbas to us. And then Luke tells us, he says, Barabbas has been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. He's been thrown into prison for legitimate causes, for legitimate reasons. Insurrection that he's caused within the city and also murder. Verse 20, wanting to release Jesus, there we go again, wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, come on, come on, what are we doing here? We have an innocent man, and then we have a man who actually has blood on his hands. What are we doing here? Pilate appealed to them again, but they just kept shouting, Crucify him. Crucify him. And for the third time, he tries again. He spoke to them and he says, why? Why would we do this? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I I will have him punished And then I'm going to release him. That makes sense. To crucify him, that does not make any sense. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. And so Pilate, 
decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and then he surrendered Jesus to their will and sent him to be crucified. Is this not maddening to think about? I mean, there's so much this week for us to pay attention to. There's so much this week that I pray that God would wake us up to, that he would open our eyes to. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. Maybe you can't even count the number of Easter weeks that you've had. Maybe this is the first one in a long time that God has allowed you to open your eyes and pay attention to the beauty and to the tragedy of the week. But this little story, this little interruption, this little secondary character that comes on the scene, it's so hard for us to even fathom what the city, what the people, what the crowd, what were they feeling? That you would have these two men, you would have Barabbas, this criminal, this, honestly, he's a, he's a thug, He's a rebel rouser. He's a troublemaker. Committed murder. Blood on his hands. And then you would have Jesus. I mean, what what, what has he done? He's healed people. He's fed people. He's taken care of people. He's loved those who were on the outside. He's given dignity to those that had questioned their own value and worth. And yet when presented the two options, when Pilate presents them both, the crowd insistently chanted, now give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And crucify Jesus. Crucify him. I want to try to do just a couple of things today in this message. I want us to look at um, really three aspects of this incident. Number one, I want to talk about how does God feel about Barabbas? And I'll give you my thoughts and opinion, but I really want you to think through that and pray through that on your own. God, how do you feel about Barabbas? Secondly, I, I, I want to think through and talk through what, how should we feel about Barabbas? What, what should our view be of this criminal that was released? And then finally, I, I want us to think through, how was Barabbas freed? I mean, imagine his life. I mean, this had to be a pretty stellar story on his part that he was sentenced to the death penalty, but was now freed and given his life back again. How how so? How how is he freed? Let's take the first one. How, How does God feel? How does God feel about Barabbas? 
We, we don't know a lot about him. This is the first time he comes on the scene. We don't know what his background was like. We don't know what his childhood was like. We don't know who his parents were or are. We don't know what kind of childhood he had. Maybe he was in a difficult spot from the beginning. Maybe he had some trouble from the beginning. Maybe he took a hard left turn. Maybe he was on a nice path and then just made a really bad mistake, a series of bad choices. We don't know. I would imagine if we knew his background, if we knew what he had gone through, maybe that would give us a little bit more compassion about him. But when we think about, well, God as his heavenly father, how does God feel about Barabbas? One thing we do know is that Barabbas was a sinner. You know how God feels about sinners? God loves sinners. Isn't that hard to fathom? That God loves sinners. And therefore, God loves Barabbas. Imagine that. In this moment, the God of the universe, the almighty one, the creator of all, that he doesn't have to take sides and go, is it Barabbas or Jesus? No, because he loves Barabbas. Barabbas is his son. He made Barabbas. He loves him like his own. Just like he loves you. Just like he loves me as his own. And in the same way God loves Barabbas, God, God loves us. I know it's hard to fathom this, but you and I are not that far away from Barabbas. You and I are actually closer to Barabbas than we are to Jesus. And this is why this gets so murky and tricky and difficult for us to fathom because a lot of us relate more to Jesus. But when it comes to the kind of life that we've lived, we're a lot more like Barabbas because we also have fallen short of the glory of God. We also have sinned and are sinners. I see there's a couple different kinds of sin, and this is what's really tricky about this, right? Uh, C.S. Lewis talks about this in Mere Christianity, that there's, there are uh, what he calls the sin of the flesh. That would be your standard murder, your stealing, your overeating, you know, the, 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 the things that we, that we outwardly do, the sins of the flesh, the, the things we can see, the, the jealousy, the, the, the anger, the, the acting out. It's those outward manifestations of the inward sin. But then he gives another category. He said there's also these sins of the spirit that not the Holy Spirit, but the spirit of us, the, the sins of, from inside of us, the, 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 the ego, the wanting life to be all about us, the comparison, the, the, the inner hatred. You know, not the I'm going to do anything mean to you, but I'm going to celebrate when I hear you've lost your job. That kind of sin, you know? I'm going to secretly celebrate when I hear that something bad has happened to you. How many of you have gotten excited inwardly when you found out that someone got COVID, right? We've all had that terrible situation that has happened, or maybe you heard that somebody broke up. Did you hear that their marriage didn't make it or that their, their relationship didn't make it? 
And you do that kind of sinister thing inside where you kind of go, ooh, I like that. We've all been there. And it's those kinds of inward sin that maybe on the outside we've decorated life well or we have a good perception on the outside, but inwardly our Father in heaven says that there's just as much brokenness there. I remember when I was a kid, the way they explained it at church was, imagine everybody standing in front of the sun trying to throw a rock at the sun. Yeah, sure, some people might be able to throw it further than others. Some people might live a more righteous life, a more perfect life, but ultimately none of us are really that close. And in the same way, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. All of us are a lot more like Barabbas than we think we are. So how, how should we feel about Barabbas? How should we feel about this criminal? It's, it's hard to even, it's hard to even understand, but if God loves him, we should love him as well. That if God cares for him, we should care for him as well. And sure, it doesn't seem just that he would just get released to freedom. But it seems really difficult to celebrate with the fact that this sinner has been set free when really that's what the gospel really is. Is that these sinners who have done all of this that they shouldn't have done, have not done things that they should have done. And because of what Jesus is going to the cross to do, he paid for all of the sin and the sinners get set free. This is really difficult. This is sometimes easy to comprehend mentally, but internally, this is really difficult to get us there, to understand that, Jesus knew that the father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Think about this. Jesus knew. He knew that the father was giving him the freedom to be able to pay for Barabbas' sin. That he was going to allow Jesus to take on the punishment that Barabbas deserved so that he could treat Barabbas like Jesus, like a son, so that he could give him the freedom that he wanted to give him. He's done the same thing for us. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. We see it in Paul's writings in Corinthians where he says that Jesus who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. That Jesus took on the punishment that Barabbas deserved, that I deserved, that you deserved, so that God could look at us and give us the freedom and the sonship and the daughtership that Jesus already had. It's the great exchange. It makes no sense. It's unfathomable. Who would do such a thing? It's one thing for the king to hold a competition and say, I'm going to allow someone to give up his life or to give up her life for the king. 
But there's no other fable, there's no other fairy tale, there's no other story that you could even make up that the king would allow his own son to become the sacrifice that would save the people. This is unthinkable. And so how should we feel about Barabbas? Well, I don't like anything that we should do. So I don't know how we should feel, but I'll tell you how we can feel so we can feel grateful that God has given us the same freedom that he's given Barabbas. We can feel grateful that God took our place through Jesus, his son. He allowed him to take our place just like he took Barabbas's place. We can celebrate because we know the same kind of freedom that Barabbas received. So what about Barabbas's freedom? How? How, how, how is he set free? I mean, if you're Barabbas and you can imagine yourself being in that situation, who would you applaud? Who would you thank? Who would you assume gave you that gift of freedom? The crowd, right? You would think that it was the crowd that gave Barabbas that freedom. But over and over again, we see both in Jesus through the power of God in him over every being, over every calamity, over sickness, over storms, over anything. And then we also see it from his own mouth where he said, no one takes my life. He said in the garden when they came to get him, he says, Judas, do, do whatever you need to do. And Judas points out Jesus and says, he's right here. He's the one right here. And then they come to grab him. And do you remember what Peter does? Peter pulls out a sword and whacks the guy's ear off. Jesus gently puts the man's ear back on his head, a miracle that we overlook oftentimes, which had to be pretty astonishing to be there and see that one. And then he admonishes his followers and he says, whoa, 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 whoa. Just to be clear, they're not taking my life. No one can take my life. I'm willingly laying down my life because I love you. Because your sin needs to be paid for. So in the same way, it's not like the crowd really had a choice there. This was all part of God's master plan. It's not like Jesus is over here with his fingers crossed going, come on, choose me, come on, choose me. Like he's on American Idol hoping that America votes for him. No, he's over here going, I, I know how this is going to go down. No one's taking my life. And Barabbas in the same way, no one could really set you free other than me. Jesus knew he was the only one who could really give Barabbas the freedom that he needed. In the same way, I don't know what you're banking on to set you free. See, 
I don't know if Barabbas thought that my greatest problem right now are the chains that are around my arms, the chains that are around my ankles, but his greatest problem, it was the bondage that he was in that got him there in the first place. That was his greatest problem. In the same way that our greatest problem, it's not the financial situation that maybe you have found yourself in or the behavioral situation that you have found yourself in. It's not the circumstances that's the issue. The issue is that you and I are in bondage to sin. That we are in bond. We cannot free ourselves. You've got that habit that you can't break. You've got that issue, that attitude, that thing inside of you that you just can't get out of. Our, our, my wife and I are in a stage right now where our, our oldest kids are getting into those preteen years. And it's been, uh, you know, you just definitely feel, man, this is all payback for the terror that I was on my parents, you know? Because you remember that feeling when you were a teenager, when you got into a mood and you couldn't get out of it no matter what? I distinctly remember that feeling. And now I see it in our own kids and my wife and I, we just look at each other and kind of roll our eyes and kind of snicker and laugh and under the table text our parents, I'm so sorry that I did this to you, (laughs) right? Because you remember that thing inside of you that was like, I'm not gonna let you out of this. You're not gonna let them win. You stay in that bad mood no matter what. That same kind of bondage, that is the bondage of sin. That's the bondage that we all find ourselves in, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yeah, you might not have committed murder like Barabbas did. You might not have been a part of an insurrection like Barabbas was, but you have your own game that you play. I have my own game that I play. And Jesus is standing there that day on that platform going, I know the freedom you need. And the freedom that you need, this crowd cannot give you. Only I, through the sacrifice of myself, can give you the freedom that you need. And so maybe mistakenly Barabbas thought what you and I would have thought. Maybe Barabbas thought, oh, these people, these people have set me free. No. Barabbas, the people didn't set you free. It was the love of the Heavenly Father that set you free. It was the love of God that set you free. And I tell you today in the same way, there is nothing that can give you the freedom that you need other than Jesus, the Son of God. And as we celebrate all that he's done for us, this week is the week. I mean, this is the moment. This is what it is all about. That Jesus... God himself would cram all of his divinity into a human body, 
would come and walk on this earth for 30 years and in the last few years of his life would show off his power, show off his might, show off his goodness, show off his kindness, that a few people would see him and believe him and then hundreds would see him and believe him and then thousands would see him and believe him And he would even foreshadow to them, there's going to come a day where I'm not going to be here any longer. The Son of Man is marching toward the cross, and I'm going to give up my life for you. And he did just that. On Friday of this week, we celebrate that, that Jesus was crucified, that the innocent one paid for the sin of the guilty ones so that the guilty ones might be free. And after his crucifixion, everyone scattered. No one believed it. No one could fathom it, despite the fact that he had told them numerous times this was going to happen. I love it that even the rulers knew this. They knew, hey, remember, he prophesied this. He said this was going to happen. And so they assigned extra guards at the tomb. Go secure it and make sure that nothing happens there. Not thinking he was going to resurrect, but thinking they might steal his body and make it seem like he was resurrected. So don't fall for this. Go put extra security around it. And they did. But there was no security that could keep Jesus from defeating death. No, he did just what he said he was going to do. He gave up his life for those he loved to pay for the sin of his sons and daughters. And then he was resurrected from the dead. He resurrected himself from the dead and opened up the tomb to let all of us come in and get a peek. And that's what this week's about. It's about reminding ourselves over and over again, or maybe hearing it for the first time, that you and I, We are Barabbas. You and I, that we're in that same predicament. And don't think for a moment that if only this crowd would choose to set me free. No, let's just be eternally grateful. Let's celebrate. Let's worship him. Let's honor him. And lift up the name who gave us the freedom that we didn't deserve. Listen, if Jesus would trade himself for Barabbas, he would trade himself for you and me. Because he loves us like he loves Barabbas. That's the simple message of the gospel. He loves you. He loves you. So honor him, celebrate him, and then let's make room for others to do the same. How dare we take this gift that Barabbas experienced and not want to pass it on to other people, right? But this is the wild turn of the event for all of us is that we could receive a free gift like this and then go, but I'm going to keep it close with just me. I'm going to hoard it for just myself. 
I, I saw myself do this a couple of summers ago. Um, I don't know if any of you have been to Panama City Beach, Florida, but there are nicer beaches uh, in the world. And there are less nice beaches too, all right? But it is, um, it's a, it, it, there are parts of it that can be a rough spot. And I spent a lot of my time in ministry and um, student ministry. And so I've spent a lot of hours, a lot of time down at Panama City Beach, Florida. And a couple of years ago, I, I had this moment Every time we would go, and we would take hundreds and hundreds of students and just ruin everyone's vacation that was there. And I felt so bad about it, but um, it is, at this point, as they say, it is what it is. We were doing it for the glory of God. And I'll never forget, one of the biggest challenges of being there were the elevators, because you'd have hundreds of high school students, you know, all in the same location at the same time, trying to ride the elevators at the same time. And I... I I would oftentimes get the opportunity to go preach and speak at camps like this. And uh, I, this one particular year took our little kids. They were real small. And we were, um, you know, maybe on the 20th floor or so of this 30-story condo complex. And I'll never forget, you, you, you press the button, and then you just pray. I've never prayed so much as I have in those moments. You would just pray that the doors would open up and that there would be room. And this particular time, I, I remember we were there maybe five minutes or so, and the doors open up, and then you got to gather your things quickly, and everybody's running around, go, quick, we got to get on it, you know? And we get on the elevator, and we push our way on, and it was, it was mostly full at this point. And then, of course, it stops on every floor, you know, the 15th, and the 13th, and the 12th, and the 10th. And every time, you squeeze a little more, and it's hot, and sandy, and muggy, and it's a, kind of a, a mixture of sunscreen and malt liquor. It's like a real odd smell, you know? And I'll never forget, we're about on the fifth floor. I mean, we're just crammed on there. We, we might have been able to squeeze a little bit more room in there, but there was so much stuff, so many people. And we were, every time they'd go, ah, the ding, and then the door would open up. And I'll, I'll never forget, the door opens up at about the fifth floor, and there was this lady standing there. She's like a 90-year-old lady who was kissed by the sun. That's one way you could say it. She was uh, quite Floridian, very wrinkled in her skin, you know. She looked like she had just been in the sun her whole entire life. And she had her little umbrella and her little chair, and she was just standing there waiting. And I'll never forget what people on the elevator did. Everyone had experienced the gift of someone moving out of the way and making space for them. But when the door opened up and everyone saw one more person, they just couldn't take it. And everyone kind of spread themselves out and made themselves larger and we didn't make room for this lady. I know. And for all I know, she's still standing there to this day, <laughs> waiting on an elevator. And it hit me as I was walking off, God, I don't want to ever do that. I don't want to be about that. The God that you have made a way for me. You have opened up the door. You have paid for my sin. You have freed me like you freed Barabbas. And I don't want to miss the opportunity to make space for others. I don't want to miss the opportunity to not give away the very gift that I have been given for free. And so my prayer for all of us this holy week is that we would honor Jesus and celebrate Jesus and worship Jesus and thank him for giving us the same freedom that he gave Barabbas, but that we would also get to play a role 
in helping someone else experience the same freedom that we've received. The test of grace, the test of grace is not whether or not you receive it. The test of grace is if you've received it, are you willing to celebrate when God provides the same freedom for others? And so, Heavenly Father, um, I pray as we, as we sing this song about the amazing grace that, God, that we're all broken pieces, that we're all in need of mending, that we're all in need of fixing, that ultimately we're all in need of freedom. Father, I pray that you would give us a moment just to be able to worship you, that we would hold your name up above all names that we would celebrate you above all else, that you gave Barabbas freedom. It was not the crowd that set Barabbas free, but it was you in your power and in your might and in your sacrifice. You gave him the freedom that he did not deserve and you have done the same for me. You have done the same for us. You have given us the freedom that we do not deserve. Father, we just want to take a moment just to say thank you again. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And Father, I pray that whoever the Barabbas in our life is, maybe it's somebody of a different political persuasion or maybe it's someone from a different part of town or someone from a different ethnicity or someone from a different family, that you would break our hearts to pray for them, that you would break our hearts to maybe even invite them, that you would break our hearts with the test of grace, that we would not just receive it, but we would be able to celebrate when someone else receives it. Make us like you. Give us your heart. Help us to see the way you see. And Father, thank you for the freedom that you gave Barabbas, because it's the same freedom that you gave us. In Jesus' name.